podcast here with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance. We take a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic, literally going into the weeds to find out how the issue we're discussing can impact you as a compliance professional. Today, we take up a very interesting issue written by Matt entitled, or rather around, cloud apps and security and how both single and double authenticated security can impact not only the security of the application and your IT system, but the wider implications for the compliance profession. But first, a word about our sponsor, which today is my new book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. The Complete Compliance Handbook, which is available on Amazon.com or from my website, incorporates the most recent pronouncements and guidance from the Department of Justice, including its 2017 evaluation of corporate compliance programs and FCPA corporate enforcement policy to provide you the most up-to-date advice on what constitutes a best practices compliance program. In this one-volume compendium, I've brought together the top ideas, topics, and techniques that you can incorporate into your compliance program literally in 31 days to more fully operationalize your compliance regime. If there is one volume to guide you in operationalizing compliance, this is it. Indeed, this is the only book on the marketplace currently which incorporates both the 2017 evaluation of corporate compliance programs and the November FCPA corporate enforcement policy incorporated into the U.S. Attorney's Manual. Once again, it's available on Amazon.com or from my website, www.fcpacompliancereport.com. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, the podcast where we take a compliance or compliance-related topic and geek out, literally going into the weeds to uh, take a deep dive into a subject. And today we are going to do that. Matt wrote a really interesting blog post. Uh, I guess it went up Saturday, if I'm reading that right. No, it did. It did. And it's uh, security over cloud apps. And uh, it's going to be fun to, to geek out on this one, Matt, but I thought you, you made a much larger and indeed more important point about compliance, risk, and risk management that perhaps we can uh, take a deep dive into. So uh, why don't I let you start out with the geekness? Yeah, sure. So this was a survey that came out of report, really, from a provider of, like a broker of cloud-based services. And, you know, you, you might use cloud-based apps. Let's start with that. What are they for those who may not know? Um, any computer application you get over the cloud, such as Office 365, um, Google and its G Suite of uh, Word and spreadsheet applications, Salesforce.com, Slack, all of these things are cloud-based apps. So this broker of cloud-based services called BitGlass, they published a report uh, last week where they looked at how more than 135,000 organizations use cloud services. And... What they found, the, the two top-line numbers, are that 81% of the companies that they looked at use cloud apps in some way. Could be Slack, could be Office 365, uh, could be Salesforce. But more than that, they also looked at whether 
these companies also then use a type of security called single sign-on. So for compliance officers who do not yet have enough acronyms in your life, I will give you one, another one right now, SSO. So secure sign-on is what it seems like it, it should be, is that um, you have only one user ID and one password that you, the employee or the customer, need to remember, and you use that to sign on to your cloud-based environment, and then you can get into all the apps, all the Slacks and Salesforces, and I think there's another one called Orcut, and um, Office 365, and all the others, but you don't need to remember individual user IDs and passwords. Um, the theory behind single sign-on is that if the company requires only one user ID and password for you to remember, well, that's easy. So then they can layer on other types of security, such as multi-factor authentication, and that's MFA, so there's another acronym for you, uh, where they might send you, uh, you log on with your SSO, and then it says before you get access to all of this, we're going to send you a code to your cell phone. Please type in the code here. That is multi-factor. The phone and the user ID and the password. The two of them together make getting in, stealing or obtaining the login credentials of somebody surreptitiously. They make the stealing of credentials much more difficult. And so SSO and MFA together are very strong cybersecurity tactic if you're using the cloud. BitGlass found 81% of the world uses the cloud. However, only 25% use SSO, which means that we have a lag here between the adoption of cloud services and the adoption of what I think would probably be a very good security's best practice um, of SSO and multi-factor authentication. You can't have both if you don't at least have SSO. And we have only 25% of these people, these companies of the world, using SSO while everyone and their uncle is actually on the so that's the gap, and that's what this report was about. So a couple of thoughts uh, really about this topic, Matt. Uh, the first is that uh, this is um, – I would categorize this as a risk, actually a risk management yep. solution to a risk. And we have had an increased uh, number of stolen passwords leading to hacking of systems – so the risk has dramatically increased over the past few years, and this is a tool or at least a strategy to try to manage that risk. So in, in reading through mm -hmm. the first two-thirds of your article, I went, yeah, I do that on a couple of different uh, apps, most notably um, on online banking or when I try to use yep. uh, my cell phone in the bank. And, and I'm not only happy to do that uh, – excuse me, not – that's, uh, I'm happy to do so. It doesn't offend me at all, and I'm frankly happy that my bank has put this extra step in. Yet, if I took that same SSO or MFA to my everyday business, I might not have the same uh, level of happiness, but the risk could be, uh, if not the same, could be greater. So any ideas to why, you know, if my experience is, is uh, uh, not unique, why people would feel that way? Well, you know, I think that there are a couple of challenges to bringing cybersecurity up to uh, the, the place that it should be 
given the prevalence of using cloud apps. And um, like you said, you know, when, once you kind of sit there and think about it for a moment, you're like, yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer. We should do this. Um, you know, uh, one of the biggest obstacles to uh, effective cybersecurity actually is that um, we have too many passwords. We have too many user IDs. I don't remember them all. I'm not sure, you know, many people people here do. And so what you do as a normal human being is number one, you write them down on a post-it note, you stick it next to your PC. Uh, I've done that. Or you come up with a common uh, user ID that you can easily remember and you use it across all sorts of apps, which I've done that. And then you might come up with a baseline password named after your favorite pet. And then the year you were born or graduated high school or something else. And when you have to update it, you change it from um, FIDO 71 to FIDO 72.73 and that kind of stuff. None of that is good cybersecurity practice. However, it is very common sense human practice. So we've evolved into this position of really kind of unwise password practices. And uh, everybody in their own love to get away from that. But um, it is, uh, the, if you go into your IT department right now and say, we want to use SSO and MFA, let's do it. Your cybersecurity people will kick you out of the room because they already know this is a good idea. Technically, it's very hard to do. Um, and we have a lot of legacy systems that people have bought into and companies have acquired over the years. That's how we're in the position we're in. It's going to take us a long time to to kind of uh, straighten out the screwy mess that we find ourselves in. But the logic of using single sign-on and multi-factor authentication together is pretty compelling. If you use just one, SSO, then as soon as somebody does steal that password, they can get everything. They've got the keys to the kingdom. So that's too little unto its own. If you use multi-factor authentication Without SSO, you've got all the password problems I just said before, and now you have to do all of this with the phones or the fobs or the key passes on the doors or all this other nonsense. Then you're going to wind up with too much security, and an average human's head is going to explode just from pure frustration. So it's using the two of them together. Um, the other point that I really liked about this report is it outlines – the different types of cybersecurity risk that are out there. Um, if you use a cloud-based vendor, you're using, you know, Microsoft Office, you're using Amazon Web Server, you're using, I don't know, Salesforce. Their ability to keep hackers out who are trying to break through all of the securities walls, their ability to do that is better than your companies. And your IT security people will be the first ones to agree with me on that. Um, however, that is a hacker's intrusion risk is different than what really screws most people up is phishing attacks where they dupe an employee into giving them credentials and then they can come in through the front door because they've got the proper keys. Um, so it teases out the idea that there are different types of cybersecurity risk, some of which your cloud-based vendors who you're already do you know it or not? Your company's using them. They're going to be better at some parts of security than you could ever imagine. But there are going to be other parts of security involving actual things who are on your payroll. That's not the vendor's problem. That's your problem. And thinking through single sign-on, multi-factor authentication, how do we bring that about? 
that's going to be a very effective tactic against a very different type of security risk. And that's where, as we increasingly worry about the use of vendors uh, and about the management of data, that's increasingly where a compliance officer's cybersecurity battles are going to be fought. And so the report is very good to help you benchmark where you might be, your company, your company size, your industry. How much do you use these different vendor cloud apps compared to your peers? It's very detailed like that. Um, but more than that, it's just it's thought provoking for you about what the path forward is going to have to look like, whether you like it or not. So, uh, Matt, what I heard you describe was a risk assessment to actually determine what your risks are and the levels of risk for each of those risks that you uh, articulate, and then a management of those risks going forward, and then, of course, monitoring of that uh, risk management solution uh, to see uh, if it's indeed working. And um, that's, you know, obviously what a compliance practitioner does uh, day in and day out. But the, uh, the solution that you articulated, that uh, third parties are going to be a, a key component of this, uh, it's still stuck in my mind that Target was hacked from an HVAC vendor. And so that uh, obviously yeah. you're only going to be as strong as your weakest link. Nevertheless, it's going to require a, a heightened awareness and a heightened scrutiny by companies who use these uh, third parties. And that, that's just the reality we're in now. I might even say, this is going to sound more flip than I'd like, but you know, certainly for hackers trying to break through the security wall, your system is only going to be as good as your weakest link. However, for phishing attacks where they're trying to dupe someone into giving them the credentials so they can walk in, your security is only be as good as your dumbest link or your most inept link who falls for it. Um, now, Look, these sufficient attacks are going to get very sophisticated very quickly, and it will be difficult for even the brightest of people to figure out this is legitimate, this is not. Um, so how do you prevent phishing attacks like that when they've not just been – it's no longer going to be the CEO asking for everybody's W-2s. It's going to be the deputy head of HR who conceivably might – ask you for everybody's W-2 data, um, but it's completely fictional. It's going to be adding in these other elements. Like I said, you know, you're sending a entry code to your cell phone that even if they dupe you into giving them the credentials, that's not going to work unless they've also stolen your phone. And once you use multi-factor authentication, it goes down a lot. Um, but you know, like that's how we're going to have to start thinking about these things. What are the systems doing at computer to computer and what are humans doing with the computers? Cause they're two different types of interactions that are going to require two different types of security protocols. And if I could translate that into a compliance ease, what I just heard you describe, Matt is a, a risk management solution of training, uh, for a human problem and that to train a human one to watch for any type of information request, uh, but two, uh, to use a tip, frankly, a two-factor verification that if you do receive a request from a CFO, a CEO, a head of HR for W-2 information, that you double-check to make sure that this really came through uh, from the CEO, C COO, yeah. or uh, that whoever it came from. And so that seems to me to be uh, really a training issue. And once again, that falls upon uh, the company to uh, to manage that risk uh, through that training. So 
I've really heard you articulate several different types of risks. Then I've heard you articulate uh, several types of risk management strategies implemented in many different ways, uh, trying to still uh, engage in uh, information security going forward. And to tie that all together, it seems like to me that's what compliance officers do day in and day out. They do. And, you know, I, I'm struck sometimes by a, a woman I spoke with in the U. Okay, not long ago, and she was working in the IT sector and um, you know, fairly high up in, in compliance at this multinational company, where she went on and on about how they had made a strategic shift recently from selling goods to selling services. Um, okay, not uncommon. A lot of companies do that. But think about what that's really going to mean in our modern age is that you're probably buying data or services from some other kind of wholesaler that you pull together, you repackage it, and you sell that finalized service on to somebody else. Uh, so increasingly, she was worried about vendor risk management. She's worried about data access, um, systems access, user access controls. None of that is new to, say, SOX compliance people who've been testing access to corporate financial systems for 15 years. But increasingly, we're all going to be doing that. It's, that's going to be the game. You know, you're not going to be worried so much about how many people are copying keys to get into the factory so they can knock off a whole bunch of counterfeits or steal trucks out of the motor pool. That's still going to happen, but it will never be on the scale of somebody who steals user credentials and then suddenly steals all the files. Um, so you need to think through where would we want to put in an extra layer of security in a second factor authentication? Like Honestly, you do not need to put security around what's on the corporate cafeteria menu. Who cares that somebody's stolen that? Um, but you'll have to think through, what do we not care about? What do we care about? Um, what is a normal user activity going to look like so that if we see the abnormal, we can drop in a second factor challenge question and stop this? Um, those are all questions we're still learning about, and that's just on the theory of it that compliance officers might game out in a risk assessment. Then you have to sit down with your IT staff, and like I said, single sign-on and multi-factor are great ideas they already know about, but implementing them is not easy, and it will take time and money. It will take a lot of explanation to the board about why to do it, a lot of explanation to the lower levels about why they have to listen to you, um, but those are the kind of challenges that we're going to see, and this report calls out the, the gap right now that the adoption of cloud services is well ahead of our security attention to the cloud services. Well, you know, you even managed to, to layer in yet another, another level of risk analysis, which was the difference in products and services. So um, th this has really been great, Matt, and, and that's exactly why I wanted to, to pick your brain on this, because I knew one, you'd be able to geek out on the technical aspects, but it, it really allows us to have a much fuller and broader uh, conversation about really what is risk, uh, how do you measure that risk, and then how do you manage that risk? And what do you do when you're, that mm -hmm. risk is changing, if not daily, certainly uh, more quickly than it previously did. So kudos. All right. All right. Till next time, this is Tom Fox and Matt Kelly from Compliance Into the Weeds. We hope you join us again. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you again for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. 
you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help us to get the word out about the only weekly podcast that takes a deep dive, literally going into the weeds of a compliance or compliance related topic. Compliance into the weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.